Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya wal mursaleen Nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een Amma ba'd This evening we continue and conclude insha'Allah ta'ala uh, A series of reminders on categories of thinking and methodology which are not which are not regarded as knowledge by the Salaf al-Salih, by the pious predecessors, their, their scholars and their Imams. And this is part of understanding who a scholar is and what knowledge is. We looked previously at who, uh, what is knowledge in Islam, uh, what is regarded as reliable knowledge and, who, and therefore who the scholars are. Uh, their first and most important quality being that they are those who have knowledge. And this led us to look at four or five things which are regarded as knowledge by some people and taken seriously as knowledge, but in fact are not knowledge. And those included Al-Kalam, uh, the innovative form of theology, that, de that depended on philosophical and logical arguments, intellectual arguments which were at odds with what has come in the wahi, in the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if it's dressed up to look like it is based upon revelation. And this also included innovating new principles in learning or in deriving the rules and regulations of Islam deriving law and fiqh uh, using innovative principles and, and opinion devoid of uh, recourse to the book and the sunnah according to the understanding of the companions. And it also included, based upon these innovations, arguing and disputing about religious affairs uh, in a way that was not approved and not liked by the Imams of Islam, the great scholars of Islam, who all rebuked and censored argumentation and disputes about the religion, unless and uh, you know it was in order to defend the religion of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, based upon knowledge in the Book and the Sunnah, the Quran and the Sunnah under certain circumstances or conditions. Today we look at another category that has been mentioned by Al-Imam Ibn Rajab ta'ala as being innovated into knowledge and something which is not truly from it. So Ibn, uh, Ibn, Ibn Rajab ta'ala says وَمِمَّا أُحْدِثَ مِنَ الْعُلُومِ الكلام في العلوم الباطنة من المعارف وأعمال القلوب وتوابع ذلك بمجرد الرأي والذوق أو الكشف وفيه خطر عظيم وقد أنكره أعيان الأئمة كالإمام أحمد وغيره Ibn Rajab رحمه الله says and from amongst those things that were amongst those types of knowledge that were introduced into Islam is speech about inner knowledge and realization and deep knowledge and actions of the heart and the things that follow from this based upon mere opinion or personal opinion and taste and al-kashf the claim that things are revealed to you inwardly uh, once you reach a certain level of piety or you reach uh, a certain level of ibadah, worship of Allah such that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires you with realities and knowledge which you would otherwise not know from the Quran and the Sunnah and Ibn Rajab says and this is extremely dangerous this type of knowledge or claim to knowledge of these inner affairs of the heart and of the soul then this type of uh, this type of 
pursuit based upon opinion and taste, going back and referring back to one's nafs, one's own soul and one's opinions and what one and the khatarat or the ideas that cross the mind or this kashf, this claim to have had something revealed to you. All of this is seriously dangerous, Ibn Rajab says. وَقَدْ أَنْكَرَهُ أَعْيَانُ And the illustrious Imams of Islam all rebuked and rejected this, like Imam Ahmad and others. And then he continues to mention how this uh, evolved further into even more serious and heretical beliefs and practices. He says, وَقَدِ اتَّسَعَ الْخِرْقِ فِي هَذَا الْبَابِ وَدَخَلَ فِيهِ قَوْمٌ إِلَىٰ أَنْوَاعِ الزَّنْدَقَةِ وَالنِّفَاقِ And then this widened, this uh, contravention of knowledge, it widened and became bigger until a people entered into it, into this topic, into this subject. People came, uh, went into it, into all different kinds of heresies and hypocrisy, nifaq. وَدَعْوَى أَنَّ أَوْلِيَاءَ اللَّهِ أَفْضَلْ مِنَ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ Like the claim, and the claim that the pious servants, beloved servants of Allah, the awliya, are better than the prophets. أو أنهم مستغنون عنهم Or that they can do without the prophets. They don't need the knowledge and the guidance of the anbiya. وَإِلَى التَّنَقُّسْ بِمَا جَاءَتْ بِهِ الرُّسُلْ مِنَ الشَّرَائِعِ And belittling or neglecting um, what the messengers came with of the laws and ways of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَإِلَى دَعْوَ الْحُلُولِ وَالْإِتِّحَادِ أو القول بوحدة الوجود وغير ذلك من أصول الكفر والفسوق والعصيان كدعوى الإباحة وحل محذورات الشرائع and other such matters like the claim of وحدة الوجود and الحلول and اتحاد which are all beliefs heretical kufr beliefs about Allah سبحانه وتعالى dwelling within his creation or being or the creation being one and singular with Allah. And other types of foundations for kufr and sinfulness and rebelliousness against Allah, like the claim of al-ibaha, that is to say that when a person becomes righteous to a certain level, when a person realizes certain inner knowledge, then things which are haram in the outer sharia, in the law that was revealed to the prophets and messengers, it becomes halal for the person who is righteous and pious. He is no longer in need of following the sharia. So there are claims made about things becoming allowed and things which the laws have forbidden, the laws of Islam have forbidden, becoming permissible for the wali or for the person who reaches this level of piety. All of these serious heresies came about, as Ibn Rajab mentions, from speaking about the matters of inner knowledge, the matters of the heart, what we could call tazkiyatun nafs, purification of the soul, and the discussions and the knowledge that follow on from talking about actions of the heart and what we mean by actions of the heart is the love of Allah, reliance upon Allah, fear of Allah and such things which are from the most obligatory and most fundamental parts of a person being a Muslim and being an obedient servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and submitting himself to Allah azza wa jal speaking about these inner affairs uh, 
based upon opinion and based upon taste and based upon kashf or the claim to have things revealed to you, then all of this led to first the Imams like Imam Ahmad and others from the Salaf and from those who followed the Salaf rejecting and criticizing such discussions. And then it developed further until it went it, it, it grew into fully fledged heresy with beliefs such as Wahdatul Wujud, the beliefs that all is Allah and Allah is all, that everything in existence is one, Allah and His servants and His creation. And far and far removed and far greater is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from this claim or the claim that somehow Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dwells within his creation either in some parts of his creation or in some righteous people as the Christians said about Jesus about Isa alayhi salam then the extreme Sufis also claimed certain uh, things similar to this about the awliya, about who they claim to be the righteous servants, the pious saints of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And likewise the claim, uh, likewise the eventual practice of many forms of sinfulness like the taking of narcotics and sinfulness and homosexuality and uh, things which started to occur amongst the Sufis and the claim that things which are haram like zina and intoxicants they are haram only for the people who have not reached a certain level of piety and after a certain level of piety and exertion in worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then a person arrives at the reality so that this is based upon a claim that there is a reality or inner reality to Islam, to the religion of Allah, and there is an outer shell which is applicable to the common person and to a person who hasn't reached uh, the enlightenment and hasn't reached something similar to Gnosis. And after that, a person, everything is allowed for a person and there is no law, there's no sharia, there's, no, there's nothing to say that there's, there's something which is haram upon you or anything like this. You have reached a stage and a state where eventually the extreme Sufis claimed that you become one with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And quite plainly, there are parallels between this extreme Sufism and the Gnostic religions that were present amongst the kuffar, the unbelievers from the Christian uh, Gnostic religions and movements as well as the Buddhists, the people of India and so on and the Persians. However, the, uh, this talk or this reminder is not about the history of Sufism and a detailed refutation of these beliefs. They are known by anyone who believes in Allah and the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They are known to be kufr. They are known to be clear disbelief in Allah. I'm referring to beliefs such as Wahdatul Wujud and beliefs about the Sharia becoming halal or laws becoming all allowed for uh, uh, the awliya, the saints and so on. However, the point is that this was not the beginning of Sufism. The beginning was where people started to speak about the matters of the heart, the matters of spirituality, the matters of purification of the soul, tazkiyah to nafs, based upon, uh, not based upon strictly sticking to the knowledge of the Quran and the Sunnah as understood by the Sahaba, but deviating from that and adding to it from philosophy and opinions and mysticism like the Gnostic traditions, adding to it 
adding to the knowledge of the affairs of the heart, that which the prophets and messengers did not come with from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in the beginning, this started off with rules and opinions and ways of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which were in contrast or at odds with the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, as understood and practiced by the companions and the salaf who were present at that time who followed the way of the companions. And this attracted different kinds of people and it attracted people towards this way of zuhd, something which started off as apparently as zuhd, which is to abstain from the beautifications and the allurements of this dunya and to, and to, and to be disinterested in material things and to live a life of an ascetic and to just worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not worry and not even take care of the affairs of this world. However, the extremism that entered into this area amongst some people attracted uh, what well, it caused them to have ideas and principles and to take and to turn to themselves for knowledge about spiritual affairs instead of turning to the book and the sunnah and to the knowledge which the Salaf, which the Sahaba and the Salaf knew and practiced and passed on. And this is one of the greatest, um, it's one of the greatest tricks of Iblis, of the devil upon the Sufis, as Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah ta'ala points out. That the foundation of the problem of the Sufis in these early stages of Sufism was that they turned away either completely or partially from knowledge. The, the knowledge of the Quran and the Sunnah and as well as having disinterest in material matters, they started to have disinterest in knowledge. And so they didn't turn to the book and the Sunnah for to understand how to purify one's soul and how to make one's heart pure and, 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 and to make one's heart do the ibadat, the worship that has, that has been obligated upon it like fearing and loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and these matters and at-tawakkul, relying upon Allah and so on rather they turned to understand these affairs to other sources of information uh, originally not uh, uh, starting off uh, not being interested in knowledge and this is there are a number of reasons for this uh, which you know we can go into Ibn al-Jawzi points out a number of reasons why the early Sufis turned away from knowledge uh, one, one example is that they they saw that um, uh, since they were turning away from affairs of the dunya, affairs of the world and material things, turning away from working and earning a living and so on, they, they became accustomed to the idea of having ease. And they didn't like the difficulty, that, uh, the, the difficulty and the struggle that it takes to learn knowledge, to listen to the ahadith, and to travel for a hadith and listen to the narrations of the Prophet ﷺ because knowledge was distributed amongst the companions and those who came after them who took the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, who took knowledge from the companions they were spread out through the lands and the books of hadith and so on were not uh, compiled at that time in a way in the, in the same way that they became later on rather you had to go to the ulama you had to sit with the scholars, you had to travel you had to endure difficulties in order to study and to learn knowledge. And one of the things that the early Sufis didn't like to do was to involve themselves and busy themselves in these affairs. They thought that they were doing good by just turning away from all forms of, of uh, uh, struggle and effort uh, and all forms of positions. Some of them regarded uh, seeking knowledge uh, they regarded it in the same light as seeking position or seeking dunya, seeking material things. 
And so they turned away from it. And, they, and the, the devil deceived them because of their ignorance and because of their disinterest in knowledge into becoming further and further, going further and further into misguidance. The point is when these things first emerged, uh, the, uh, when people started, when certain individuals arose and started to try to codify uh, this way of seeking a path to Allah uh, through these innovative means, through, through means which relied upon personal opinion and taste and philosophy and al-kashf and these type of uh, manahij, these type of methodologies instead of basing it upon knowledge, the athar, the knowledge which was passed down from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and passed down to the companions. When people started to turn away from the revelation and the manhaj, the way of the prophets and messengers, and they started to innovate their own ideas, then the scholars of Islam, the Imams of that time, they, they recognized that this was foreign to Islam and to the correct way of the Prophet and they censored, rebuked, and they spoke against it as soon as people started emerging who started writing books or narrating uh, or, or trying to teach people this way of zuhd which went against the, the sunnah of the Prophet and which involved speaking about these affairs based on false principles and based upon uh, you know, philosophy or taste and, re and referring back to the nafs, referring back to one's own soul and one's desires instead of referring back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Uh, this is the point that Ibn Rajab makes and also a point here uh, uh, which Ibn Al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala very eloquently points out about uh, those who spoke about these affairs and entered into this field of spirituality without relying upon the Qur'an and the Sunnah and without making the Qur'an and the Sunnah and what the Prophets came with from Allah the, the, the thing that they depended on. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah when commenting on some issues about purification of the soul and about the akhlaq, the character and the different types of characteristics which are praised in Islam while commenting on these matters uh, in light of what some of those Sufis proclaimed and what they spoke about and what they wrote in their books Ibn al-Qayyim says in مدارج السالكين إن تزكية النفوس مسلم إلى الرسل وإنما بعثهم الله لهذه التزكية ووالله إياها وجعلها على أيديهم دعوة وتعليما وبيانا وإرشادا ابن القيم says purification of the soul is something which is left to the messengers. Allah only sent them with this tazkiyah, with this purification and development of the spirit or, the, or, or, or of the soul. And Allah put them, the prophets and messengers, in charge of this. And he made purification of the soul and development of spirituality. He, put, he made it, or he put it in their hands as their da'wah, as what they called to, as what they taught, as what they explained, and as, and, and as what they guided people to. He then continues, They were the ones, the prophets were the ones who were sent in order to treat and to cure the nations. قال الله تعالى Allah 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, It is He, Allah, who sent amongst the unlettered people a messenger from amongst them, who recites unto them the signs and ayat of Allah, and who purifies them, who develops them and grows them. And He teaches them the book and the wisdom, whereas beforehand they were in clear misguidance. So this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an. That Allah sent His Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam to purify and to develop the souls of people and to teach and through teaching them the book and the sunnah, to, through teaching them the book, the Qur'an, the words of Allah and the wisdom that He received from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas before that, people were in manifest error and misguidance. Then Ibn al-Qayyim says, وَتَزْكِيَةُ النَّفْسِ أَصْعَبُ مِنْ عِلَاجِ الْأَبْدَانِ وَأَشَدُ And purifying the soul is more difficult and is more serious and hard than, harder than uh, curing or treating bodies, the body of illness. فَمَنْ زَكَّى نَفْسَهُ بِالْرِيَاضَةِ وَالْمُجَاهَدَةِ وَالْخُلْوَةِ التي لم يجئ بها الرسل فهو كالمريض الذي يعالج نفسه برأيه. So whoever tries to purify and develop his soul through the exercises and the exertion, uh, the uh, exertion, and the um, uh, riyada, which is the the type of spiritual exercises that the Sufis used to do, whoever tries to purify himself and to develop his soul through these forms of exercise and exertion and al-khulwa which is to be alone, isolation because this was one of the Sufi practices that if you exert yourself in certain types of worship and in certain types of activities you train your soul and then you put yourself into isolation and in that time you do certain activities or certain types of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in this way, the soul develops and you start to realize certain things until you receive kashf. You receive this enlightenment or you receive this type of uh, inspiration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and true inner knowledge opens up to you. All of this innovative practice, Ibn al-Qayyim says, whoever tries to purify himself or to develop his soul through this type of exercise and exertion and isolation, which the prophets did not come with, the prophets did not teach. Then he, then he said, Ibn al-Qayyim says, فَهُوَ كَالْمَرِيضُ الَّذِي يُعَالِجُ نَفْسَهُ بِرَأِيهِ He is like a person who is sick, a person who is diseased or ill, who needs treatment, and he tries to treat himself based upon his own opinions, based upon his own personal views. وَأَيْنَ يَقَعُ رَأْيُهُ دُونَ مَعْرِفَةِ الطَّبِيبِ Ibn al-Qayyim asks, he says, how far is the distance, how great is the, different, uh, the, the difference between one's own personal opinions, one's own personal views, and the knowledge of a physician? Then Ibn al-Qayyim says, He said, the messengers are the doctors, the physicians of the hearts. The messengers are the doctors for the hearts, to cure the hearts and to develop the hearts, to strengthen the hearts, meaning spiritually upon the, on the worship and the obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَلَا سَبِيلَ إِلَىٰ تَزْكِيَتِهَا وَصَلَاحِهَا إِلَّا مِن طَرِيقِهِمْ وَعَلَىٰ أَيْدِيهِمْ There is no way, he said, therefore there is no way to purify and develop the hearts and to rectify the hearts, except by way of the messengers and at their hands. And through simply submitting and following, complying with what the prophets and messengers taught the people to do, and Allah is the one whose aid is sought. So this is the basis upon which a person is supposed to learn spirituality, if we can call it that. To learn how to develop oneself and to be a better person in one's heart and soul 
is through following what the messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came with. Not through the innovative practices and the innovative ideologies and theories that were innovated into this area of knowledge or into this particular subject, topic. Now, in order to substantiate a little bit about what we said, that the Imams of Islam rebuked and they censored and they warned against listening to people who started to codify and who started to record their ideas and their theories about spirituality into books and into teaching and gaining followers, then we have a few examples to mention amongst many. And remember we're saying here, just to be clear, that the, uh, the earliest people who were regarded by many as Sufis, they were in fact not people who practiced, practiced anything innovative. They were people who were aesthetic and who shunned this worldly life and who turned to the worship of Allah and they had zuhud. They had this, uh, they practiced this zuhud, which is something praised in Islam, in the Quran and the Sunnah. However, they were not as knowledgeable as the Imams of, of the Salaf, as the, not, the scholars of Hadith and the scholars who, 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 be, who were the great Imams of knowledge and leaders for the Muslims. This is on the one hand. And on the other hand, people started to attribute themselves to these early righteous people. And they started to claim to follow them, but, who, but, they, but these followers started to innovate and started to introduce ideas into this area, which were not upon, based upon the book and the sunnah. And these type of people, these followers who attributed, who attributed themselves to the early so-called Sufis and who started to write books, these were rebuked and warned against by the scholars who, uh, and the Imams who were present at that time. And this, all, and this happened, you know, uh, uh, around, you know, after, two, uh, after uh, 200 uh, the second century of the Hijrah, and prior to that, there existed these amongst the generation of the Tabi'een, those who came after the Sahaba. There emerged names, people who were regarded as righteous, who practiced zuhud from the likes of Al Junaid ibn Muhammad and Bishr al Hafi and Abu Sulaiman al-Darani and their likes. May Allah have mercy on them. Rahimahumullah. These people have been praised by the scholars as being righteous and also as having attempted to keep people sticking to the Quran and the Sunnah and not to deviate from the Quran and the Sunnah. So the ulama have praised them and have said in general they were from Ahl Sunnah, they were from the people of Sunnah. In fact, some of them explained Aqeedah. Some of them explained issues of Aqeedah and defended the Aqeedah of the Salaf. And some of them uh, uh, made, made an effort in order to try to keep people basing their spirituality, basing their practices on the Quran and the Sunnah. For example, Al-Junaid, who is known by all Sufis, who is regarded by all Sufis as one of the greatest Imams or the, or the Imam of Sufism. Al-Junaid, rahimahullah, would say to people, our way is based upon the Quran and the Sunnah. And he would say, whoever has not studied the Quran and whoever has not listened, has not heard and narrated the ahadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and has not uh, studied the religion and tried to understand the religion and gain fiqh in the religion, then he is not to be followed. Then he should not be followed. He's, he's not to be taken as an example. And this is what the Sufis themselves 
contradicted and went against themselves later on. They turned away from knowledge and they turned to innovative practices and ideologies that were taken from outside of Islam. So when we say that the Imams, the Fuqaha of Islam and the great Imams of the Sunnah like Al-Imam Ahmad, Al-Imam Shafi, Al-Imam Malik and the great scholars who were prior to them and after them from their students and their companions, when they rebuked uh, or what they rebuked and what they, and what they pointed out was not knowledge was the innovative practices and the innovative ideas, the philosophies and the ideologies and the opinions that began to be introduced by people after these uh, aforementioned names. And so it's uh, important to differentiate between the two. This is for two reasons. One is that we do not attribute to those who were free of innovation or free of wrongdoing something that they were innocent of. And secondly, it should be known that all Sufis, all Sufis from the most extreme sects amongst the Sufis, the heretics, uh, you know, and the people of shirk and the people of bid'ah, all of them claim to be followers in some way or another or to take their inspiration from these early sheikhs, what they call the shuyukh, like al-Junaid and so on. Some of the most extreme uh, heretics amongst the Sufis, like Ibn Arabi, and their likes criticized these early sheikhs. They ended up criticizing them, uh, but it, on, the, on, on the whole, these early sheikhs are regarded as the founders of Sufism by Sufis themselves. So it's important to remember that when the Sufis claim to be followers and to, to have a lineage or to have a kind of line of knowledge and line of wisdom to these shuyukh, that this is a false claim. Because the earliest so-called Sufis, and we'll call them the early Sufis, these early Sufis who were in fact not following Sufism, these earliest sheikhs, they were not upon the way that the later sects of the Sufis uh, followed and the innovations and the philosophies that they themselves practiced. Rather, we have indications, like I said, from the likes of Al-Junaid and, and those who are similar to him. We have indications for them, from them. It is reported from them that they would uh, uh, tell the people to stick to the Quran and the Sunnah and not to uh, uh, turn away from knowledge. And likewise, they would explain the aqidah, the correct beliefs, and explain Tawheed to people, especially when it started to emerge that people were deviating and turning away from the book and the Sunnah, and trying to and and this and and this uh, so-called Sufism was being born or was being uh, coming into its own. So we should understand this. Then after them, there came those people who truly did innovate ideas and. Uh, started to import foreign ideologies into the religion based, uh, you know, claiming that they were uh, trying to reform people's practices or reform themselves and bring themselves and their souls into line with what is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were trying to purify their characters, purify their souls and so on. And these innovators and these people who started speaking and writing these are the people that were criticized and so we end up where we started as Ibn Rajab says that one of those forms of innovated types of knowledge which is not regarded as knowledge and which was rebuked by the Imams is speech about matters of the heart and purification of the soul based upon opinion and kashf and based upon uh, you know, uh, turning away from what was in the Quran and the Sunnah. So, some examples to finish off. Some examples include Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, when he first started to hear about this type of so-called knowledge or this type of discussion taking place, and people starting to write books or to start uh, start speaking about the issues of the heart based upon these innovated ideas. And they include Al-Imam Abu Zur'ah, uh, Rahimahullah, uh, another of the 
you know, third century scholars who came after these Imams. Al-Imam al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah, also having said some words in criticism of the foundation of tasawwuf or Sufism. So with regards to Imam Ahmad, then it, then it is well known about him, the famous case of this individual uh, who was known as Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi. Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi was a contemporary of Al-Imam Ahmad, and he was someone who had studied somewhat, but he started to speak about affairs of the soul and affairs of the heart in a way which contradicted what was in the Quran and the Sunnah and started to innovate his own ideas or to import foreign ideas into this discussion. And because of his turning away from the knowledge of the book and the Sunnah, he also attracted um, people to, uh, or he, he was also a cause of people being uh, led to the bid'ah of the Jahmiyyah, to follow Jahm bin Safwan and his innovation with regards to the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and belief in Allah and, and Tawheed al-Asma'i wa-Sifat. And there we go to that innovation that we spoke about, al-Kalam. So, so Imam Ahmad and others, they warned against this individual, al-Harith al-Muhasibi, for two reasons. One of them, as is reported from Imam Ahmad, is because he led people into believing or into following the beliefs of the Jahmiyyah. But also, there is criticism and warning against Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi, even though Al-Harith himself only started to speak about these affairs. Remember, these, these um, beliefs that have become part of extreme Sufism, beliefs in Wahdatul Wujud, the belief, belief in the unity of existence, and uh, al-hulul and al-ittihad and the major shirk that they commit uh, at the graves and worshipping the saints and so on and so on or claiming that the sharia doesn't apply anymore to the righteous these beliefs, you have to be clear, these beliefs were not spoken and not even imagined by anyone in those early years people like al-harith al-muhasibi never spoke or never claimed any of these things they only started to speak about affairs of the heart and affairs of the soul in a way which was not in accordance with the Qur'an and the Sunnah and it was new. So even though they were not guilty, people like Al-Hadith were not guilty of the major shirk and the major kufr which became Sufism as it is now in its different forms and different, uh, according to the different sects and the different orders that exist. Not all of them are the same as the others. But those early people that the Imams spoke out against and said that this is not knowledge and this is not the speech of the people of knowledge, they, were, they, they, were, um, you know, they, they, they weren't even as extreme as what Sufism became later on. So we have the case of Al-Imam Ahmad. Imam Ahmad heard some people came to him from Asham, from the area of Syria. And they said to Imam Ahmad, they asked him that there are people who have uh, come up who have started to speak. And this is what Imam Ahmad was told. يَتَكَلَّمُونَ بِكَلَامٍ قَدْ وَضَعُوهُ فِي كِتَابٍ وَيَتَذَاكَرُونَهُ بَيْنَهُمْ فَقَالَ مَا هُوَ قَالَ يَقُولُونَ الْمَحَبَّةُ لِلَّهِ خَيْرٌ مِّنَ الطَّاعَةِ وَمَوْضِعُ الْحُبِّ دَرَجَةُ كَذَا وَكَذَا فَلَمْ يَدَعَهُ أَبُوْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ يَسْتَتِمُّ كَلَامَهُ وَقَالَ هَذَا لَيْسَ مِنْ كَلَامِ الْعُلَمَاءِ لَا يُلْتَفَتُ إِلَى مَنْ قَالَ هَذَا وَأَنْكَرَ ذَلِكَ وَكَرِهَهُ so a group of people once came to Imam Ahmad from Sham and they said, look, uh, there are uh, some people who have begun to speak and write down what they're speaking and talking about in a book and they are revising and studying this book amongst themselves. So Imam Ahmad said, what, what are they saying? What is this book or what are these writings? 
So they gave, an, they gave him an example. They said, they say that the love of Allah is better than obedience to Allah. And the level, the, 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 the station of love is greater uh, than another station. And they start talking about darajat and they start talking about these inner matters in this, mat, in this manner. But before they could finish describing, Imam Ahmad cut them short and he didn't let them complete what they were saying. He said, he interrupted them and said, Hada laysa min kalamil ulama. He said, This is not from the speech of the scholars. This, you, you shouldn't turn to this. This shouldn't be paid any attention. Uh, or the person, sorry, the person who said this shouldn't be paid any attention. And he hated this and he rebuked it and he censored it harshly. So here we have the emergence of people starting to write down spiritual musings and ideas and starting to teach it and revise it amongst themselves talking about the level of love of Allah and how love of Allah is better than obedience of Allah and this is something innovative this, this dichotomy doesn't exist in the Quran and the Sunnah that loving Allah is better than obeying Allah and the level of love has a level which is above this other level and so on and so forth this nonsense this is not from the kalam of the ulama, it's not from knowledge. It didn't come in the Quran and Sunnah like this. And, as, and you can see there's no major, there's no call to wahdatul wujud or there's no call to major shirk being made here. But as soon as this type of uh, innovative type of speech, just like innovation in aqidah, innovation when it comes to theology was rebuked, by the Imams of the Salaf, the same way innovation in spirituality and in issues of the heart and in issues of akhlaq, in issues of character and morals, any form of innovation in this field was clamped down upon and was stopped by the Imams like Imam Ahmad and others. Likewise, it is reported from Imam Ahmad when he was asked about these wasawis, wal khatarat, these whisperings and ideas of the people who speak about spirituality and these matters, he said, Ma sahaba The companions, the sahaba and the tabi'un, those who followed them in knowledge, did not speak of such matters. This is what Imam Ahmad said when he was asked about these types of whisperings and these type of ideologies that were coming up. Likewise, when Imam Ahmad heard the kalam of Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi, he heard that a person who, a student of his or a companion of his, had gone and listened to Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi. He said to his companion, La aralaka antujalisahum. I do not I do not think, I do not believe it is allowed for you to sit with those people. I do not believe it is allowed for you to sit with those people. Likewise, it is reported from Al Imam al Shafi'i that he said, al-Kasal. He said Tasawwuf, Sufism, was based, was built upon laziness. And what he meant by this, as Ibn al-Jawzi, rahimahullah, explains, is that is this point that we were making and that Ibn al-Jawzi made when we started to talk about this topic. And that is that the earliest people who started deviating into Sufism were people who did not like the idea of making efforts to study and to attain proper knowledge of the religion. And in the same way that they did not like to earn a living or to work for their means, for their livelihoods, and they claimed that this would all divert and would preoccupy a person from worshipping Allah and it may make a person chased after the dunya. So this was a form of extremism in Zuhd. This also led them to become lazy with the idea of not making efforts 
and not, and not uh, struggling in order to acquire what you need to acquire, and that included knowledge. And that, that included knowledge. And that is why, as Ibn al-Jawzi explains, it is related that Imam al-Shafi'i said, Ussis al-Tasawwuf al-Kasal. Sufism is based upon, or was founded based upon, laziness. Kasal meaning not working, not making efforts, and not doing anything to acquire what you need. That's the meaning of al-Kasal here. Likewise, al-Imam Abu Zur'ah. Rahimahullah Ta'ala, who died in the year 264, came slightly, you know, during the, uh, after Imam Ahmad, and he was from the scholars, uh, highly regarded scholars. And Imam Abu Zur'ah said, or he was asked once about Al Harith, Al Muhasibi, and his books. Again, remember Al Harith, who is Harith? Al Harith is one of the first people, in fact, some of the scholars state. This, this is probably the real founder of Sufism. Like he's the first who is known to, to have started writing down these ideas, to start write, writing down and calling to these ideas about spirituality uh, based upon either philosophy or his own opinions, but based upon something which was not in the Quran and the Sunnah as understood by the Sahaba. The first of them and the most significant kind of person to have initiated this unfortunate uh, change in the ranks of the Muslims was Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi. So Abu Zur'a and Al-Harith, as we said, never he, he's not known to have called to any major shirk or anything like the extreme Sufism that we know of in subsequent uh, you know, centuries. This was just the beginning. But they rebuked him and they warned against him and his books. So Abu Zur'ah, rahimahullah ta'ala, was asked about Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi and his books. So he said to the person who asked him this question, he responded, Iyaka wa hadhihi al-kutub, hadhihi al-kutub, kutub bid'ah wa dalalat. He said, beware of these books. These books are books of bid'ah, innovation in religion, and dalalat and misguidance. عَلَيْكَ بِالْأَثَرْ فَإِنَّكَ تَجِدُ فِيهِ مَا يُغْنِيكَ عَنْ هَذِهِ الْكُتُبِ Follow the knowledge that was transmitted and passed down from the Prophet ﷺ and the companions. Follow the narrations, al-athar. Follow the path that they were upon. You will find what is sufficient in that instead of these books. What is in the knowledge passed down from the Sahaba, from the Prophet what is in there is sufficient for you and you don't need these books of innovation to talk about these affairs of spirituality and the heart and the soul. So when he responded like this, the person, someone said, في هذه الكتب عبرة In these books, there is a Lesson, there are lessons, they wake people up, they affect people, or they have, some, they have some form of effect on people when people read these books. So Imam Abu Zur'a said something which really should be written in gold ink. He said, Rahimahullah, Man lam yakun lahu fi kitab azza wa jal ibratun, falaysa lahu fi hadihi al-kutub ibrah. He said, whoever does not take lesson, whoever is not affected by the book of Allah Azza wa Jal, then he won't be truly affected properly by these books. It means nothing. It is of no worth. Whoever doesn't get affected when he hears the Qur'an and he studies the Qur'an, he needs to turn to these innovated books about spirituality, then this is a person, there's something wrong with him. There's something wrong with him. So, the, so the, the effect on a person through bid'ah is not a good effect. It's not an effect which will either last or which will be good or beneficial. There's something wrong in it because he's not affected by the book of Allah, but he's affected by these innovative ideas and these extremisms. And then he continued, rahimahullah, he said, بَلَغَكُمْ أَنَّ مَالِكِ بِنْ أَنَسْ وَسُفْيَانَ الثَّوْرِ وَالْأَوْزَاعِ وَالْأَئِمَّةُ الْمُتَقَدِّمَةِ صَنَّفُوا هَذِهِ الْكُتُبِ فِي الْخَطَرَاتِ وَالْوَسَائِسِ وَهَذِهِ الْأَشْيَاءِ He said, have you heard 
Have you ever seen, have you ever heard that people like Malik, Imam Malik ibn Anas, and Sufyan al-Thawri, and al-Awza'i, and the other and the other early Imams who went before us, ever wrote books like this? Wrote books about such whisperings and such ideas? These people who write, who write these books, these are people who have contradicted the people of knowledge. يَأْتُونَنَا مَرَّةً بِالْحَارِثَ الْمُحَاسِبِ وَمَرَّةً بِعَبْدِ الرَّحِيمَ الدُّبَيْلِ وَمَرَّةً بِحَاتِمِ الْأَصَمْ وَمَرَّةً بِشَقِيقِ ثُمَّ قَالَ مَا أَسْرَعَ النَّاسِ إِلَى الْبِدَعِ He said these people, they've contradicted the people of knowledge. One day they come to us with, say, uh, with this name, Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi. One day they come to us with Abdurrahim Al-Dubayli. One day they come to us with Hatim Al-Asam. And one day they come to us with Shaqiq. All these names of people who have spoken, who started to speak about these affairs in this way, which according to Abu Zur'ah was not in accordance with the book and the sunnah as passed down to us from the Sahaba. And then he lamented and he said, how quickly people fall into bid'ah. So this was regarded as bid'ah by the imams. This was regarded as bid'ah by the imams and it was not one-tenth of what Sufism became in subsequent generations and centuries. Likewise, we have the case of Marwan Ibn Muhammad al-Dimishqi, one of the companions, one of those who, who accompanied Imam Malik, rahimahullahu ta'ala, and he died in the year 210 or the year 216 Hijri, third century scholar again. He was from those who learned from Imam Malik, rahimahullah. He said, ثَلَاثَةٌ لَا يُؤْتَمَنُونَ فِي الدِّينَ أو فِي دِينَ الصُّوفِ والقصاص he said there are three who are not trusted with religion. There are three who are not trusted to take religion from. As-Sufi, the Sufi, and this is one of the early uses of the word Sufi. The Sufi and the Qassas, the storyteller, the one who doesn't have knowledge, he's not a scholar, but he goes around telling stories to give da'wah. وَمُبْتَدِعٌ And an innovator who tries to refute other innovators, the people of desires. These three categories of people are not trusted with taking religion from them. As-Sufi wal-Qassas وَمُبْتَدِعٌ يَرُدُّ عَلَىٰ أَهْلِ الْأَهْوَىٰ The Sufi and the storyteller and the one who is an innovator himself, he's a heretic himself, a mubtadi' who tries to refute other people of bid'ah or other innovations and desires. We have the case of a very famous personality and a rather mysterious and controversial personality who was known as Dhunnun al-Misri. Dhunnun al-Misri is also regarded as one of the founders of Sufism or one of the earliest uh, kind of leaders of this thinking there is some uh, there, there, there is some uncertainty about exactly what or how much he followed innovated or deviated ideas some people claim that he was free and he was not guilty of some of the things that he is accused of saying about the religion uh, some heretical or innovative ideas. He is a rather mysterious and controversial personality. You will still find in the books, uh, you know, some scholars quoting him because of certain wise statements that he had and certain things that he said, which were generally accepted as being correct and uh, wise. But there are other things which are mentioned about him that he fell into practices that were innovated and he was one of the first, especially in Egypt, to start talking about the stations of the awliya, the stations of the saints, 
and, the, and, and trying to organize and codify these ideas about the conditions that a person's soul can fall into and speaking about these matters in a way which the Sahaba didn't speak. To such an extent that the scholars of Misr, there were scholars in Egypt at the time, and again he's third century, um, there were scholars in Egypt at the time who boycotted him, abandoned him, and even accused him of heresy Zandaqa. So this is Dhunun al-Misri. Again, he's second century, and he, and it is not established, it is not proven that he even said or did some of the things which the later Sufis ended up saying and doing. However, even when he started to speak about issues of the soul and the stations and the levels of the saints, the awliya, the people who worship Allah and are beloved to Allah, when he started to speak about these affairs, then the scholars came down upon him. Scholars such as Abdullah ibn Abdul Hakam, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was from the ashab, from the companions of Imam Malik, rahimahullah ta'ala, and who died in the year 214 after the Hijrah. Abdullah ibn Abdul Hakam refuted and spoke against and warned against Dhunun al-Misri. By the way, Dhunun al-Misri, amongst the things that are mentioned about him is that he was the first to decipher the hieroglyphics of the ancient Egyptians. He is accused, or said, it is said about him that he even entered into issues of magic, as sihr because of his delving into the, these uh, knowledge or sciences of the ancients. And so he began to start speaking about issues of spirituality and the issues, and at the same time, he was the first to start speaking in the way that he started speaking, especially in Egypt. So Abdullah ibn Abdul Hakam, rahimahullah, refuted him and warned against him to the extent as we said, that the ulama of Misr, the ulama of Egypt, they abandoned him, they boycotted him, and, they, uh, and it was spread about him that he, was, he had innovated a knowledge which the Salaf didn't speak about. He innovated a knowledge which the Salaf never spoke about. Imam al-Dhahabi, rahimahullah ta'ala, mentions this in his biography and says... Um, that Dhunun al-Misri was the first to speak in his lands about the issues of the ahwal, the changes in condition of the soul. And he tried to codify and speak about the different levels of these conditions and changes in spiritual condition. And the maqamat al-awliya and the condition of the saints, the awliya of Allah. And he was, وَهَجَرَهُ عُلَمَاءُ مِصْرِ And the scholars of Egypt, they boycotted him and left him for this. وَشَاعَ أَنَّهُ أَحْدَثَ عِلْمًا لَمْ يَتَكَلَّمْ فِيهِ السَّلَفِ And it became widespread that he had innovated, he had introduced a knowledge which the Salaf did not speak about. And so they boycotted him to the extent that some accused him of heresy, of total heresy. So these are some examples of scholarship from the early generations rebuking and criticizing even an inkling of innovative speech in this area. And this is what Ibn Rajab rahimahullah ta'ala is referring to when he speaks about this other category or this category of knowledge or so-called knowledge which is not knowledge and which is which has been innovated into the religion and introduced into the religion when he mentioned these five categories or five things that we have spent a little bit of time uh, mentioning as part of our discussion on what is knowledge who are the scholars and how are they known
So with that, we conclude this section or this phase. And inshallah ta'ala, we'll move on in the next class to talk about the second quality that was mentioned of the ulama after them having knowledge. Remember, when we describe the ulama, we describe them based upon what the scholars have said is the, is the true description and the true qualities of the ulama. The first being, as Sheikh al-Imam Ibn Baz rahimahullah mentioned, that he has knowledge. The scholar has knowledge of the Book of Allah. He has good knowledge of the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Messenger. And so we discuss this, what knowledge is and what knowledge isn't. Because by their opposites, things are known. And so that we are not in confusion as to what we mean when we say somebody is knowledgeable or he's acquired knowledge. These innovated and heretical belief systems or practices that, that have been mentioned, they are not considered knowledge. They don't qualify as knowledge. Rather, they are a danger. A person should be on guard against a person who delves into these things and should not take from these people or these types of people who fall into these innovations. These have been warned against. They are not, they are not knowledge. They are, they are not even allowed for a person to delve into. And if a person bases his so-called scholarship or his da'wah, his teaching and his call on any of these innovative ideas, innovative principles and innovative forms of thinking, then he is a person to be warned against instead of a person to be taken from. The next thing that is mentioned in the qualities of the ulama, the scholars, is ad-dirasa ala ahl al-ilm. That the scholar is one who studied with the scholars. And this is what we will look at in a bit more detail uh, in the forthcoming class, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallama ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi.